Hi everyone, good morning and thank you for joining us for this live video webcast featuring members of the Chief Investment Office here at UBS. I'm Anthony Pastore and today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. So the markets do remain in focus after a few volatile trading sessions following the failure of three U.S. regional banks and subsequent action by the U.S. Fed and the U.S. Treasury. So today we're going to discuss a couple of things including do these events portend more volatility or an economic decline? Or has this been contained? And also, how can you as investors position your portfolios in this particular environment? So I've got a number of my uh, colleagues, Elena, Brad, David, and Leslie from the Chief Investment Office joining us. Um, just as a quick uh, note here, we will not be able to reference any single stock names. So if you do have any questions and want more specific information on any of the names that we don't mention here, make sure to speak to your financial advisor. So Elena, I want to bring you in. Thanks for um, thanks for dialing in and joining us today from Europe. The big news today that we're seeing, and I'm sure a lot of people watching here, are what's going on with European banks. I just wanted to see if you can quickly explain to us what's happening and causing the volatility we're seeing in the markets here in the U.S. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for having me. Well, what we have seen is basically in the past, in the past few days, following the SBB bank issue in the US, we have seen a lot of volatility in in Europe, in particular also on the banking sector. And and the fear that the you know the European banking sector might have some issues and then they might this 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 individual idiosyncratic problem with SVB could spread and 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 then the question in the market is are European banks safe enough? Actually we think that the European bank landscape consists mostly of retail-based bank and as such with a rather stable business model. If you want to discuss in detail, we see that uh, basically, the, in, in contrast to uh, SIB, um, B, B, uh, SIB Bank, uh, which with about 56% of the overall size of that security as a proportion of total assets, European Bank have around 13% of security. So they are basically, uh, the, the, the number is really small. And then we see that, therefore, the, the impacts from losses of bond holdings for European banks is relatively limited. So we think that is one factor which is definitely think let, let us to know that you know there's not really a big problem. We think that the quality of the loan book, which is a very important factor for bank, is generally for European bank rather diversified. And therefore, this is this avoids one of the issues which was typical of, of, of SAB Bank, which was basically concentrated. We also see that most European bank being awash with liquidity and cash cash-like reserve. We are talking about a loan to liquidity ratio of around 150% for European banks. So with all these factors on, on the asset side, definitely lead us to believe that, um, that, that the banks are definitely well, uh, you know well prepared to face uh, uh, some problems, sometimes of volatility, and, and as they have a very stable uh, balance sheet. Also, um, we have to think that most of the deposits, 75, 70% of the deposits are, are insured. So this is definitely gives a, a lot of stability to the banks and, um, and the majority of the deposits. Uh, so, and, and, and therefore, and they are all, uh, are all covered by deposit guaranteed schemes. So these, these are really factors which lead us to believe that um, you know the the correction which we have seen on the banking sector is more in Europe is more driven by negative sentiment than 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 by fundamental problem. Right. Thank you, Elena. So it sounds like you're saying this. You don't think this represents a broader systemic risk for European no, banks? No, absolutely here, right? not. Right. No, we don't think it's a systemic risk. Terrific. 
Elena, thank you very much. We really appreciate your insights from over there in Europe, especially with the news coming out. Thank you, Elena. So, Brad Ball, let me bring you in here. I want to talk about what's going on in the U.S. side. You and myself and Leslie and David, and we were also joined by another colleague, John Walsh, and last Friday after the initial news out of Silicon Bank. But um, we've had three different banks fail in the past week. And, but we do know that the Fed, the Treasury, the FDIC, they've all stepped in to try and help out a little bit. They're not calling it a bailout. They're trying to be very careful not to use that kind of word. Uh, but they did want to stem any kind of contagion for sentiment risk. Do you think that this was the right reaction? Yes, thanks, Anthony. I do think the Fed uh, and the FDIC, backed by the Treasury, took the necessary actions on Sunday to, as you say, stem contagion. I think we're experiencing a, uh, a crisis of uh, somewhat of a crisis of confidence among uh, bank uh, investors and bank depositors that's really linked to um, really idiosyncratic uh, risk management failures at a couple of mid-sized banks. Uh, the real problems uh, that came out of Silicon Valley and Signature Bank uh, were tied to the fact that they took on too much interest rate risk and had high concentrations of high dollar uninsured deposits on their balance sheet. I think the market is concerned that those uninsured deposits aren't very stable, they're very flighty, they're likely to leave those banks. Uh, and that led to, frankly, a run on both banks, uh, SVB last week and Silicon Valley, or excuse me, Signature Bank uh, on Sunday, uh, which led to the seizure of, of the banks uh, by the FDIC. Uh, as you asked about uh, the measures, uh, really two key measures taken by the FDIC and the Fed and the Treasury. The first is the FDIC committing to backstop all both insured and uninsured deposits uh, at those two failed banks. And the second being the Fed's commitment to a bank term funding program, so-called BTFP, which essentially enables uh, any bank to tap uh, the discount window at the Fed in order to uh, take uh, uh, a borrowing um, and pledge their securities as collateral at par, essentially meaning that they can uh, borrow against the investment portfolio on their balance sheet, even if it's gone down in value. Uh, that should enable the banking system to have the necessary necessary liquidity to get through uh, this challenging period. And I think we should be avoiding, uh, as I say, a crisis of confidence spreading more widely. Um, the factors, the issues occurring in Europe, uh, as Elena said, do tend to be uh, idiosyncratic. I think they're linked to some uh, failures on the risk management side, failures on the control side. At, at specific institutions there. Um, and we don't think that that necessarily means there's broader risks in the U.S. banking system. So what does that mean then, Brad, going forward for U.S. banks? What do you think we're looking forward to here? Do you think there might be more regulation? Um, or do you think that perhaps this news out of Europe is really just spooking markets here in the U.S. and not really much to do with what we've seen over the last couple of days with the U.S. banks? Yeah, I think it's important to distinguish uh, that the issue we're having today is really uh, one of uh, liquidity uh, concern. Um, it's related to uh, interest rate risk concerns and not related to credit risk concerns. So as we've already talked about, I don't think this is a repeat of the uh, financial crisis of 15 years ago. Um, I think this is something that could be much e more easily contained. And as I said, uh, both the FDIC and the Fed actions taken over the weekend should go a long way to achieving that. Um, going forward, I do think there is a high probability that the regulators will 
place a, a stricter regime on uh, interest rate risk management, as well as uh, credit uh, risk management across the banking industry. Uh, recently, they've been more focused on the larger so-called globally systemically important banks. Uh, I think they will now take those measures related to liquidity, uh, related to oversight of capital adequacy, and impose those on the entire banking system. Uh, the upshot of that is uh, really twofold in my mind. One is it raises the cost of compliance for the entire banking system, which will weigh on earnings growth and profitability for the group. And second, it will elevate the cost of capital. The industry, in my view, will have less excess capital going forward uh, than it has had in the past. They'll be less able to buy back shares uh, as they have been doing in recent years. Um, and uh, frankly, they'll have to carry a somewhat higher cost of capital, uh, which again will negatively impact their profitability. Uh, so that is an overhang. Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal today highlighting that the banking regulators uh, do have an intention of uh, cracking down on the, the smaller to mid-sized banks. Uh, that's something we're going to watch for. Um, it should uh, be viewed positively by the depositors. The purpose of the Fed is to, uh, bank supervision at the Fed is to ensure the safety and soundness of the banking system on behalf of the depositors, uh, but it may not be particularly well received by stock investors. Great, Brad, thank you very much. Appreciate the rundown there. Uh, let's, Leslie, let me pivot over here when we're talking about rates. Um, if anybody's watching overnight, we've seen the two-year Treasury drop 40 basis points, somewhere around a 385 right now, 10 years dropping as well. Um, what's going on here particularly that you can sense from the news we're seeing? Well, there, there's a few things. And one of the common themes with uh, that Brad and Alina really hit upon was volatility and somewhat of illiquidity. And one of the measures that we look at for volatility is what we call the move index. And this is very common, uh, a very common sentiment indicator. This actually has moved up today higher than it was during the COVID timeframe. So when you think about, to your point, overnight we saw two-year two -year treasuries move 40 to 45 basis points. This is, this is because of a few reasons. One, there is a flight to quality, which is occurring. The second one is, is that, you know, we have this constant shifting sentiment of the next steps of the Fed. And I know that we're going to get into that. But there's a few things to point out, and one of them is, is that this, this, this constant volatility that we're seeing, particularly in the short end, is actually shifting, say, what we call the shape of the yield curve, mm -hmm. for example. You know, we know that it's been actually a year, a year since the Fed started hiking, a year since the two tens began its inversion trend, right? And if we look at just a few days ago, the two ten spread was at 108. Today, it's about 38 basis points, right? So we've had a large re-steepening of the yield curve. Now, what's caused that has really been really dominated by that two-year. And that two-year has been dominated simply because, again, this flight to quality and also really trying to analyze the path of the Fed. And when you see the, the when the yield curve, uh, you know, sort of steepens that way, does that give you any indication about what's coming next historically? What does that mean? Well, you know, there's always been this lag, right? When you think about when the yield curve inverts and people talk about recession, how this lag ha happens to occur. It's been a year. The right. average is probably about 14 months. And a, a recession has a lot of times historically it followed an and, inversion. And normally when you have, Not always, but... And normally when you have this kind of re-steepening, it's a way to say the market pricing in, and we'll get to this, is what really the market is doing in terms of the Fed path. Mm -hmm. And right now it's saying, you know what, you're going to start cutting interest rates in the second half of the year because the economy is going to slow. Well, let's talk about the Fed then. I mean, it seems, you know, Jay Powell and the rest of the Fed... Have, uh, 
I mean, they have their work cut out for them. We're seeing the, 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 this bank situation, of course, here in the U.S. that seems to have been handled at this point because of their actions in the Treasury. But we've got a Fed meeting coming next week. Everybody's wondering, are they going to still go 25 basis points higher? Are they going to pause? Are they going to cut before the end of the year, given what's happening? Even the economic data that's coming out, you look at retail sales, producer price index coming in today way lower than expected. And, uh, you know, even retail sales were down. People are really starting to feel the effect of these higher prices. Um, what do you think the Fed needs to be doing here or what their move might be? Well, let's talk about what the market thinks. And what I want to emphasize that because it's been incredibly fluid right. and shifting. You know, you know, today, if we look at, say, this morning, the market is saying the Fed is going to ease 125 basis points by the second half of, of 23, okay? And it's not going to go anymore at all, right? And that's new. And we that, haven't heard those well, numbers. It's gone sort of, it's, it has gone back and forth. It's been very, because the market is very reactive right now, as it should be. We're mm -hmm. going through a bit of financial instability, even with the, a lot of the measures that were taken over the weekend. The market, you know, is doing a bit of a flight to quality. So this, the sentiment shifts very quickly. So right now, the market is saying that, you know, the Fed is not going to do anything. And then, if anything, it's going to ease in the second half of the year, which is why we have the steepening. Now, when we think about it, if hypothetically none of this happened and we just went by the CPI number and the previous employment, then more than likely the path would have been this 25, 25, 25, you know, through July that the Fed would continue to hike just to meet their, you know, objective. There's no question the Fed looks at financial stability. They absolutely do. I think it's, I think it's really difficult right now to say which way they're going to go in general. Um, I do think that we have to take into account that there are measures or there are things in the system that, that are slowing the economy in the second half of the year, regardless of what's occurring right now. Tightening lending conditions, the curve's inverted. You know, we've gone from zero to five, almost 500 in a year. And, you know, many people ask themselves, why haven't interest rates really hit the consumer, right? And we know that a lot of the consumer debt is mortgages. We know they've locked in earlier. But there is this lagged effect that normally would have resulted in the slowing economy in the second half mm -hmm. of the year anyway. Now, whether or not they go next week is really up in the air, but I'll tell you that the market says no, and the market says they're going to reverse at the end of uh, 23 by at least 125 basis and points. And that's what we're seeing as well. Some of the swap strategies are also indicating about 100, 125 basis point decline. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, President Biden was on TV the other day assuring Americans that he said, I can, he said, Americans rest assured that our banking system is safe, your deposits are safe. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also put confidence into Americans. And I think that's why maybe there was some stability in what we saw in equity and fixed income trading over the last couple of sessions since the beginning of the week, obviously today notwithstanding with the European news. But that said, Leslie, and what perhaps the markets are saying about where the Fed is going, where are you recommending investors position within fixed income? I mean, there's been a lot of flux going on. Where do you recommend right now? Well, I mean, we came actually into this, even though it was completely unknown, uh, you know, positioned fairly well for sure. a number of reasons. One, our entire uh, sort of structure of the fixed income portfolio was in higher quality, right? We, we had liked those sectors such as investment grade corporates versus the higher embedded risk sectors such as high yield or senior loans that, in our opinion, actually held up incredibly well for too long, even regardless of this instability that we're seeing right now. So we, we did like the higher quality sectors. On top of that, we've also been, you know, increasing within the U.S. and the fixed income portfolio, our interest rate risk, you know, when yields were a bit higher than here. So that's been a little bit protection for us. You know, going forward, I think it's too. I think going forward, you'll have great opportunity. I think it's too early to get involved now, simply because the liquidity is there is not there, and you have a lot of volatility. But right now, we still maintain that up in quality from things like IG and agency MBS that really are the more liquid sectors that during times like this you want to own versus something that is you know, we consider more illiquid.
Terrific. Leslie, thank you very much. So, um, David Lefkowitz, let me uh, shift over to equities now uh, more broadly. Obviously, as Leslie was talking about, the markets are starting to price in perhaps a cut before the end of the year from the Fed, maybe not next week, but certainly before the end of the of, of 2023. So with the equity markets looking at everything, they're looking at the economic data. CPI, Consumer Price Index, came in at 6%, below the 6.4% from the January reading. So that's good news. Inflation is coming down. All this is going on. But we have a confused market, a confused Fed. What are the equity markets thinking here? Yeah, sure. So uh, so I just want to reiterate one thing that Brad brought up, because I think it's really important. I mean, what's happening in the banking sector right now, you know, to us really is very different than what happened during the financial crisis, because I don't think there's really any questions about the quality of the assets that, that the banks own. It's more of this, as, as Brad pointed out, the sort of risk management issues, liquidity issues, and what the, what the Fed and the Treasury did and the FDIC did over the weekend really go a very long way to, to resolving that. So I, I think that's just important to underscore that point. Now, all that being said, I, I think just dovetailing on, on a lot of what Leslie talked about, yeah, look, you know, the Fed's been tightening now for over a year. Um, we have a, we've had a very inverted yield curve. And I would, I would characterize the environment as it's, it's, we're in a late cycle period. Uh, and when, when that happens, when we're in this kind of late cycle, you know, it's certainly possible that we ultimately could slip into recession. I think that's what the equity market is trying to figure out at the moment is, is all the Fed tightening that has been done, will that ultimately lead to uh, the U.S. economy slipping into recession? Our base case is not recession, just to be clear. But look, we have to acknowledge that that is, that is uh, a legitimate risk, especially in this late cycle environment. And you've got now some concerns about you know, confidence in the financial system. Now, mm-hmm. I think the, the other point I want to make, though, is that, look, stocks are already down about 20% from their peak in, in early 2022. Um, and if we did slip into recession, you know, I don't, think, I don't think the market would go down by more than 15%. Uh, from current levels. So I think it's important to bear that in mind. And then I also think it's important to take the longer term perspective, bigger picture here. Uh, you know, we know it's very hard to time markets. And, and at this point, you know, even if you buy today, buying today after this 20% decline, you know, I think investors should expect a high single digit type return annually over the next five to 10 years. So it's not a, it's not a terrible environment in the long term for, uh, for equity investors. But but yeah, there, there's more uncertainty in, in the short term. Is there any, any, is there any exposure that you would recommend maybe investors look into? I know you've got a least preferred on uh, financials in right. CIO. Yep. But given all of the news and where we might be going, do you recommend any exposure here specifically? I mean, whether it's to financials after the news or right. where else would you be kind of putting money to work yeah. right now? So I want to be clear on our least preferred view. Also, this is not a view that there's going to be more bank failures, right? I mean, this is, this right. is a view that... And we've had this view, and, and, and Brad was, you know, Brad's on our team. We're all part of the same team. Uh, coming up with the view on, on the least preferred on financials is more about. That was from last uh, fall. Yeah, October. we put that in late last year. Right. Um, and the, the thinking here is that uh, kind of what's a little bit playing out that deposit costs are rising, uh, that the ability to return capital is going to be a little bit more constrained because of the regulatory environment. And we have concerns that we're late cycle. And at some point, credit costs could start to rise. So it's more of an earnings uh, headwind question, not really a solvency of the banks question, right? I think I just want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. And it's, we're really saying it's it's uh, the sector will probably underperform relative to the to the market. That that's the main point. But look, 
Um, yeah, there, there are certainly, I think the higher quality banks, as, as Brad talked about, those are, those are going to do, uh, those are going to do fine in, you know, ultimately when we get through this period. Um, but look, I, I would be looking outside of the financials for the best opportunities. I mean, in general, we want to have a little bit more defensive positioning. Uh, we like consumer staples, which, which offers that. Uh, we also like real estate, and I want to emphasize in real estate, listed publicly traded real estate is, is we're not talking about office, right? I mean, office we know is going to be more challenged, but there are some really high quality companies within publicly listed real estate, such as the, the tower companies, the data centers, industrial companies. These all have nice secular growth opportunities ahead of them. Um, and, you know, frankly, the fall in interest rates helps on their financing side also, which had been a big concern uh, for for some of these companies in the in the past month, so we like that area. And then in general, I would just say focus on quality. We've had a, a theme out for uh, almost a year now, focusing on high quality stocks. Still think that makes a, a lot of sense in the current environment. Meaning uh, large cap, or do you think there's some opportunities in small and mid here? Yeah, I mean. There, there, you can find high-quality companies everywhere, but, yeah, there's more high-quality in, uh, in large caps. Um, and, and, look, I mean, I think if, if we do go into recession, it's going to be a more challenging environment for small caps. So we're, we're neutral across the size spectrum. Um, but I would, I would highlight, and we've talked about this, I think, in the past, that small, small cap companies and mid-cap companies are trading at really low valuations relative to large cap. And so that should insulate them a bit if we do go into a hard landing. Uh, so I don't think they're going to underperform that much versus large caps. And then I think you can do, uh, in terms of total return over the next, say, five, 10 years, I think in, in small and mid, you can do quite a bit better than you will in large. You know, sort of a low double-digit return uh, in, uh, in small and mid seems pretty reasonable, just given pretty discounted valuations at right. the moment. Thank you, David. Got a couple minutes left. I just want two follow-up questions. Leslie, we talk about the credit markets all the time. Where, what are the credit markets saying right now? And are they, are they confident in where we're headed? Well, I mean, the credit markets are finally catching up a bit. And, and they should, in our opinion, they should have actually caught up a little, a little a while, while ago, ago, right? Because lending standards have been tightening for quite some time. That's right. And, you know, we've had this really you know, sort of investors, you know, looking at this yield, thinking that, you know, after a lot of underperformance in 22, that they would, again, re-engage in, in 23. So the credit marks are actually both high-yield loans and, in, in some cases, some preferreds as well, are really starting to underperform here a bit. And one would anticipate that given the volatility. So opportunistically, going forward, they could absolutely be something to look at, but we're just not quite there yet. Right. And obviously, we know one of our messages and focus here at CIO is seeking income. We talk a lot about IG corporates, et cetera. That's still a place where you would feel safety? We, we do. We like the IG corporate market. And we like, listen, most of all, you should be diversified, mm -hmm. right? But we do like the investment-grade corporate market. Obviously, the more liquid the sector, the more volatile, the more um, volatility you have when interest rate volatility occurs. Right. So, you know, we like the, the corporate sector overall because, you know, we just think that they're in good shape going forward. But that doesn't mean they're not going to widen out and spread in the next couple of days. Everything is. Right. Keep an eye on right. everything, right, is what we're saying. And, Brad, one last question for you. When you're talking to investors here in the U.S., what should they be looking for in the next days, weeks ahead, particularly when it comes to the banks? Yes, I think the main focus is uh, really going to be on this issue of confidence in the financial system. I can't uh, reiterate more strongly that the financial ins the institutions are substantially stronger today than they've been going into uh, 
all past crises, uh, including the uh, GFC 15 years ago. Um, you know, some of the data points that are likely to emerge, uh, we do get weekly data from the Fed. Uh, they file an H-8, which includes uh, deposit and loan balances across the banking system. We'll be watching for how these recent events have impacted flows and deposits and demand for loans. We have gotten some uh, releases, some press releases out of some of the big banks in particular that have experienced positive deposit flows. Uh, notably, Bank of America indicated that they saw 15 billion of additional deposits come in their doors uh, just in recent days. And if we get more uh, notices or, or uh, releases from the, the banks like that, I think that will help uh, calm some of the fears in the marketplace. And we'll be getting into earnings season actually pretty soon, about a month from now. And so we'll be watching closely to hear what management say, not just about the first quarter, but about their expectations for where things are going, where demand is in the economy, where growth opportunities are, and what the prospects are for earnings growth and profitability for the balance of this year uh, and into next year. So those are some of the things we'll be watching for. But um, I, I would just uh, finish with saying that I, I responded to your question earlier about the FDIC and the Fed, and I think they did take necessary actions. But it's possible that they could do more. So the FDIC could come out and explicitly back uh, all of the deposits in the banking system, not just those deposits at those banks that were seized. Um, the Fed, uh, they could encourage uh, maybe a large, liquid, well-capitalized bank to tap into uh, the bank term funding program, uh, maybe take some of the stigma off or concerns about a stigma that may be applied to banks that feel the necessity to tap that that funding program. Um, and, you know, they always are sitting back and you know, I think they've proven from what they did on Sunday, uh, ready to take whatever measures are necessary to infuse liquidity into the system to ensure that the, the banking depositors are safe and sound. So we can watch for something like that as well. Um, and uh, yes, we've already addressed the question about how the regulatory environment could shift going forward. Um, I don't expect to see any near-term action on that. There may be uh, some headline risk, um, but the, the next big uh, regulatory episode to watch for will be the uh, Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review, the so-called CCAR review, which is conducted every year, the results of which should come out at the end of June. Uh, so those are the things that we have in front of us for the next quarter or so. Yeah, absolutely, Brad. A lot of market moving, a potentially market moving events. And we have a Fed meeting next week as well. So all eyes, I'm sure, will be on Jay Powell and, and the decision from the Federal Reserve on what they do and where they go with, uh, with interest rates. Uh, thank you again for joining us, everybody. We're right here near the bottom of the hour. So, I, of course, I want to thank my guests for being in the studio with me, David and Leslie. And, of course, virtually we had Elena calling in from Europe and, of course, Brad Ball. So thank you all for being here and for your uh, concise and informative and very helpful answers to these questions that I know many of us have. And thank you all for joining us for this webcast. Uh, as Brad said, there's a lot of events coming up. So we will be nimble. We will be here for you. If there are any other market-moving events or things that we feel we need to respond to you with from our chief investment office, we'll be right here and we'll make sure that your advisors and you all know about that as well. And for more information, you can visit our UBS Insights website. Lots of information there. It's UBS.com forward slash views. From New York City, I'm Anthony Pastore. We hope you have a great day, everyone, and we'll see you soon.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 